Okay, hello, ladies and gentlemen. It's episode 114 of the Jake This. It's my podcast. It's me. I'm Jake Johansson. Okay, you did it. You're here. Hey, this week's episode is all about... Oh, <laughs> well, they're all about me, aren't they? Ha ha. Ha ha ha. So don't forget to, if you want to come and see me, go to my website and check out the places that I'm going to be, because I'm going to be a lot of places, and most of them you can come and see a show of me talking. And it's a good time. So that's September 26th and 27th. I'm going to be in Austintown, Ohio at the Funny Farm. Then uh, I'm going to be in Seattle or Kirkland, Washington, I should say. Laughs Comedy Spots, October 3 and 4, Kirkland, Washington. I'm going to be in Maycomb, Illinois, Western Illinois University, October 17th. I'm going to be back at the Comedy Works in Denver the beginning of November. Comedy Works in Denver, everybody. Comedy Works in Albany, New York. I'm going to be November 13th or 15th. And in December, I'm going to be back in St. Anne's in um, Chicago and environs. So check out JakeThis.com for all of that. I'm uh, revitalizing and uh, reinvigorating my website with the help of my friend Kimball. Shout out to Kimball, Kimball Packard. He's a nice man and a smart man and an awesome helper. So I'm taking a break from texting back and forth with him about uh, fonts to talk to you. And to introduce this week's episode, my guest this week's week is uh, Dr. Karen Jaffe. She's a doctor, a medical doctor, a real medical doctor. No, no bullshit. Not like Nigel, medical doctor of prescriptions. I think he made that up. But Karen, I haven't seen her diploma, but I've been to her office. She's operate. She's uh, she's a real uh, OBGYN. She's retired now because. Uh, because she's uh, she's at an age where she can retire, and also she received a diagnosis of Parkinson's, and so she's decided to retire after after several years of practicing, and uh, now she's kind of full time helping to raise awareness about Parkinson's, and uh, she's got an interesting project along those lines. And I wanted to talk to her this week because several people in my life have been diagnosed with Parkinson's, and I thought that this way, rather than having them call Karen, she doesn't know them, they don't know her, I would talk to Karen, and maybe you know someone with Parkinson's, or maybe you're just curious about Parkinson's. Karen is a very funny person, and she's also thoughtful, and um, and she's articulate. She's all of those things, and many more things. She's a handsome lady, um, she's nimble on her feet, she's got a beautiful smile and uh, I've never seen her dance. I wanted to say she was a good dancer, but that would be that would just be pure exaggeration on my part because I don't think I've seen her dance although she was at my wedding. And so the fact that I have not seen her dance is only because I wasn't paying attention. I was paying attention to my wife on my wedding night. Thank you very much. That's what you're supposed to do. That's a free tip from me to you ladies and gentlemen on your wedding. Pay attention to your wife. Try not to watch other ladies dancing at your wedding. Um, just just to kind of get the honeymoon off to the right start. Anyway, Karen, uh, Dr. Karen Jaffe is my guest this week. We we had this talk. I wanted to talk to her about Parkinson's and about some of the things uh, that go along with that diagnosis. She received her diagnosis at a, at an early age, as uh, you know, she's my age, and we're we're not tender young things, but we're we're young generally for for that kind of thing. Um, oh, who's to say she's not a tender young thing? I'm not. Uh, I hope you are, or I hope you feel like you're a tender young thing inside. I hope you enjoy this week's episode, and uh, there is a little bit of nonsense in it, but rest assured, if you're here for nonsense, I'll be back next week with plenty more nonsense for you and I to share. 
and enjoy together. So thank you. And uh, enjoy this conversation that I had with Karen. It's, you know, it's informative for a change. I'm actually talking to someone who knows what they're talking about. It's a big treat. And it doesn't happen always on the podcast. So please enjoy. Dr. Karen Jaffe. Oh, her wife, Mark Jaffe, who is a comedian who I've known. This is the worst introduction ever, isn't it? I feel like I've almost been saying that we were going to listen to it for a little while, but we haven't. I could do this over, but who has the time for that? You know, I don't, I can't chew my cabbage twice. Not at this age. One, I give it one chew, I swallow, and then later on I deal with the consequences. Anyway, Dr. Karen Jaffe's husband, Mark Jaffe, has been my friend since before they got married. He's a comedian, and he's there. You can hear him um, talking and interjecting off mic during the interview. So that's just an inside piece of inside information as to what else is going on behind the thing that is also going on. And, uh, okay, without further ado, and I mean it this time, Dr. Karen Jaffe. Here we go. Mark brought you a present. Brought me a present? Yeah. What is it? It's an orange brain. Oh, gee, this is... <laughs> what? It's just an orange brain. Is it, It's like a ball? It's a stress ball, you know. Oh, I see. So you squeeze the brain right. when you're stressing out. Right. Over your Parkinson's. Over your Parkinson's? <laughs> well, you can squeeze it when you're stressed out about anything, I'm, I'm guessing, right? Yes. Well, this is nice. And... Uh, I want it because I wanted to talk to you, my friend, Dr. Karen, today, because I've been having a lot of people, a lot, I've had a few people in my life that have kind of been recently diagnosed with Parkinson's. And then that always makes me, you know, when any, when anything happens, you think about the people who, you know, who have already experienced that. And these are people that I'm talking about who are in there you know, 70s, 80s. Yeah, which is usually when people get diagnosed with Parkinson's, but... Right, right. I bet they had symptoms for a lot longer than that, though. Well, yeah, I think in both cases, it, it, was, a, it was a thing that they were suspecting and then dreading and so avoiding. Uh, is that in your... Well, that's an interesting thing, because I wonder about um, if there's a certain age that you get where you maybe have enough friends who've had Parkinson's where it crosses your mind that your symptoms could be Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. But for me at age in my forties getting diagnosed, it never occurred to me that it would be Parkinson's because I didn't know anybody with Parkinson's. And in fact, the first time I got diagnosed, the physician told me he thought it was Parkinson's and I left there and told everybody that I knew that it was crazy because who gets Parkinson's at 47? So, you know, I, I don't have that experience of dreading it because I, it never crossed my mind that it would be. But I think that older folks who get diagnosed do know people with Parkinson's mm. or they, not that they're more educated about it, but they just have come across it, whereas I had not. And as a physician, you'd think that I would have, but I never, you know, Parkinson's isn't something that they kind of sort of, you're obligated to, you know, inter, interface with when you're a re resident or a medical student. So, well, and you're also an OBGYN. Right. So but I mean, in medical school, I suppose I could have, but it's, it's kind of low on the totem pole. Yeah. So you were having symptoms and you were trying to get to the bottom of what was going on. Yes. But my symptoms were really localized symptoms in my arm. And so, and I had had, I had started out with some pain in my shoulder that I thought was exercise and, you know, caused by exercise that I did lifting weights or whatever. So I went to a friend who 
you know, gave me a steroid cortisone injection. And, um, and it was after that, that my arm started feeling kind of sort of funny. So I thought that he had hit something and that, um, and he injected me a second time and it got worse. And so I was really convinced that he had injured something in my arm. So when I went to see the first neurologist about it, it was all just one arm was feeling kind of weird a little bit like I, I, I described it to the physician as caffeine running through it like it wanted to jump but it wasn't there was no tremor there mm-hmm. and so um for you know a year i went with this this symptom and then you know it was shortly after um it was right around the same time that i had become a moyle which is the person who does circumcisions on jewish babies you know on right a week uh, when they're a week old and so when i would not the best not the person <laughs> you want to have well Parkinson's. Right. so um i uh and when I would go to do these, if I would be nervous, then my, this tremor started showing up. Mm. So I, but I really, I went to see a physician. I didn't believe him. I thought who gets Parkinson's at one arm at age 47. And the truth is that that's how a lot of people do find out, especially young onset Parkinson's like me. Um, Michael J. Fox had a, had a tremor in his pinky finger. And I have lots of friends who described arm problems because you, one of the things that happens is you often lose your arm swing, and so probably you get a little bit of a frozen shoulder. I've heard tell of patients who've gone to have sh- shoulder surgery because of the same kind of pain that I had in my shoulder, only to find out later that it was Parkinson's. Huh. So it's then the thing about Parkinson's that is so um, interesting, but is a conundrum to us, is how many different presentations there are of it. So there are people who. Um, get diagnosed with Parkinson's because they have a tremor. Some people get diagnosed because they have gait problems. They're, they're not quite stable or they freeze when they walk or mm-hmm. they have, they have a postural instability that you fall over or whatever. And some people just have, um, things like depression and they get diagnosed and it turns out to be Parkinson's. Really? Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Depression can, or Parkinson's can express itself as a depression. So it's interesting about depression because you would think that we know that Parkinson's persons with Parkinson's disease have a higher rate of depression. About 50% of patients with Parkinson's will experience depression. And as it turns out, it's not because they have a diagnosis that's not good. Because when you compare them to diagnoses that is even worse, like ALS, for example, um, Parkinson's has a higher rate of depression. So there's something about inherent... sad because of their they, diagnosis. Right. They There's, actually have this clinical depression that goes they, along with the right, Parkinson's. Right, exactly. That's inherent in the disease. So, um, and then there's, you know, since I've gotten diagnosed with Parkinson's, there's been a big swing in, um, to focus on things that we call non-motor symptoms of Parkinson's. So a couple of things that people can have well before they get motor symptoms like tremor are things like loss of smell, and then there's something called REM sleep disorder, which is interesting. I've learned this since I got diagnosed. REM sleep disorder is when people have very violent dreams that they act out. That apparently is Parkinson's until proven otherwise. So people who have these dreams and they're... Act out, meaning their physical vi- body is right, moving around right, in the Right, they bed. might be hitting the person that's in the bed with them. They're, mm. you know, it can be quite dangerous and people have been injured because you know, they don't know what they're doing. That apparently is Parkinson's until proven otherwise. Uh, constipation comes along with it. Uh, what we call low blood pressure orthostatic hypotension. These are all non-motor symptoms. What is that? Orthostatic hypotension. Yeah. It's when people have, you know, they stand up and their blood pressure drops because their oh. blood pressures, you know, a lot of these non-motor symptoms are what we call autonomic. So it has to do with your blood pressure regulation, your sense of smell, your bowel functions, your bladder functions. Those things get affected because of the lack of dopamine. And so... Um, you know, those kind of sort of things show up typically well before the motor symptoms show up. But people don't know about it. And, you know, a lot of people have constipation. You know, that's mm-hmm. what you joked about in your act, you know. And so when that shows up, people don't think Parkinson's. 
but you know, sense of loss of sense of smell is a pre- precursor. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of these things that people have um, that that now they're focusing on as as markers for you know Parkinson's. You know, before it actually gets to the point that people are having shaking or tremoring. And well, the interesting thing to me about uh, these the the people that are in my life and this whole idea of trying to avoid the bad diagnosis. It's interesting to me because just knowing you, and I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about it, but just knowing you, it seems like there's a tremendous advantage to knowing what you're dealing with early and being able to take steps to counteract the symptoms that you're having or slow the progression. Is that wrong? Well, except that, you know, the the reason that people want to avoid this diagnosis is because it doesn't have... um there's there's nothing um, that people have a sense that is good about it at all. I mean, people well, there is a stigma associated with this disease, sure. and I think that in the older population, those people who know people who have it, if they know people who've had it who've had dementia associated with it, um, then or cognitive impairment, then they're worried about that, and they're worried enough about it in their seventies or eighties anyway. And then you add Parkinson's to this, and um, they're they're um, even more worried. So a lot of people I've met several people in their later years who don't tell people. I have s- several acquaintances who haven't. I had an interesting woman who she was um the patient she was 80 some years old and she was the patient of one of my partners as a ob my OBGYN partners mm-hmm. and she heard through the grapevine that i had parkinson's and that i had kept it a secret but had let the cat out of the bag and she called up my office and asked the secretaries if it was true that i had parkinson's and they said yes she goes i want to make an appointment with dr jeffy about my parkinson's you know so she hadn't she came in to see me she had not told her three best friends that she had parkinson's and because she was worried i mean this was an 80 year old woman she was worried that they would think that she was impaired or that she was you know something else would be wrong with her and so she was taking a pill every three hours to hide her tremor so basically this woman was taking a pill and i said to her i said you know basically you're going i have parkinson's i have parkinson's i have parkinson's because every three hours you have to remember to take a pill because you have parkinson's she went home that night and told her friends and (laughs) she said she slept better than she'd slept in you know a long time and so she just let it go and her friends were relieved because they always think that there's something else or something worse yeah um so um i think that um now that I've, and I kept it secret for three years. So, you know, yeah, I can understand that, you know, as a surgeon, as a moil, but I have lots of people who have you know, their own reasons for keeping it secret. Now that I have had it for a while, you know, the advantage of having time behind me, Jake, is that I know that I'm, that this is changing slowly. When you first get diagnosed, you can't believe, you wonder what's going to happen and how quickly it's going to happen. And when time goes by and you realize that, you know, you're still walking and talking and thinking, you realize, okay, I can kind of sort of get my head wrapped around this a little bit more. And then you realize that there are things that you can do. uh, And, you know, we don't have anything that slows the progression of the disease that we know of yet. But trust me, they're working on it. Um, But there are things that you can do to be healthier and to be um, and to take care of yourself and to empower yourself. And that's part of what, you know, my message is now is that people need to take control of their disease and get informed and know what they can do to make their life better and to live with it better until we find a cure, which I hope we will find one. Right. Well, yeah, I was more kind of interested in people out there who might be um, trying to 
avoid or or not get this diagnosis or be afraid of it. There's not really an incentive to do that. You're much better off finding out what is really up with you and your body, isn't? Aren't you? And yeah, I, th- I think so. I, I think that it's. I I always personally feel that knowledge is you know valuable and that it's important to have that. Um, I think that the more information you have, you can choose what you want to do with it. Mm-hmm. But um, I think that you know for Parkinson's patients. Um, we, we now know the biggest thing right now in, in, in Parkinson's patients in trying to be taking care of yourself is to exercise. And, you know, the truth is that everybody needs to exercise, not just Parkinson's patients. <laughs> right. And so, right. Don't wait. Know, don't wait for your Parkinson's diagnosis right. to start your workout plan. Right. But the truth is, is that for people with Parkinson's, if they have not, if they're not in very good physical shape, they are behind the eight ball when they get their diagnosis mm. because they, it's hard to motivate them to exercise and that yet exercise can make such a big difference in terms of their ability to stay mobile and, <laughs> and things like that. So we are, one of the things that I'm working on now that I'm retired is this wellness center that we're going to open up here in Cleveland called in motion. And that mm. is a place where people, you know, what ends up happening is what's happened in the, in the past couple decades is people get a diagnosis um, and then they get sent on their way. And what are they supposed to do? Just like, good luck. Here's a right, card you can put in your wallet. Right, and then... right. You've got Parkinson's, you know, take your drug, call me in six months. Let me know so if you're not feeling get... They do get given a drug or, or something. They can. To, to... They can. You know, I was, but not everybody starts out on a mm-hmm. medication. Um, so um, they... Uh, but they kind of were kind of sort of left to fend for themselves. Uh-huh. So, you know, one of the th- and that was a big frustration from from my perspective is that, you know, why aren't these things accessible to people? Why don't people know where they are or why don't we have classes or whatever? So the center, I came together with a couple of other people who had the same frustration I had. So the center that will be opening will be a Parkinson's wellness center. It's a movement for patients with movement disorders. There are other movement disorders besides Parkinson's, but most of it is Parkinson's. And not only will we have the standard support group, but we'll have a big resource center. We'll have a lecture series, but it's all based on exercise. So we'll have biking, uh, tai chi, yoga, dance, boxing, um, all these different exercises modalities for all levels of Parkinson's patients and it's all free to the Parkinson's community. Mm, so it's a place great. where people can go and get these things that they need to help them be well and they know where to get it and where they can get it easily, safely and for free. Well, that sounds great because it seems like they're up against two challenges. The, the patient that you described who isn't used to exercising to begin with. So it's developing that habit, finding some exercise that they can do and, and accepting like this is where you are in your ability to do this, right. whether it's because of your Parkinson's or because of your age or your, your yeah, or whatever it is. Yes. And so people have to feel that, you know, I, I like to tell people that this is a place where they can leave their stigma, their shame and their fear at the door and come in and meet other people and, and have the, uh, you know, the, the, get the knowledge that they need, um, for the level that they're at. And, um, and there will be plenty of people who come to our center who will never, op- never, you know, get on a bike or never do any exercise at all. But hopefully being there, they will feel motivated by people that they see around them yeah. to do that. Well, and to be around other people who are experiencing right. what you're experiencing. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, I, I have a friend who is 70 some years old and he's had Parkinson's for 14 years and he, uh, and I have become friends through different things that I've been doing. And he confided in me that he and his wife have had no one to talk to for 14 years until I came in their life and and am willing to talk about all that's going on with Parkinson's and whatever. And he wishes that he had had somebody. They felt very alone in terms of having this diagnosis. People don't share it like they do some other things. I find it's very similar to depression, AIDS. You know, there's a stigma that people, you know, have, and so they don't, they don't talk about it. Well, when you're talking about reasons to 
pursue finding out what's going on with you, which is how I kind of started this yeah. conversation. You've got the connecting with other people who might be able to help you and understand. I'd love to hear some of the things that uh, that this person was interested in talking about, like just particular symptoms and the right, drugs. Or, or, or being or, afraid, you uh, know, you know uh, what, what's going to happen to me. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's. When, you know, when people have Parkinson's and it's going to be, it's probably going to be progressive. If you go to a Parkinson's support group, it's hard because you'll see people who are more advanced than you. And you're like, am I looking in a mirror? But the more you realize that people live with these diagnoses and live well, and they can live healthy despite a tremor or whatever, there's, you realize that it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's not as bad as you think it's going to be. (laughs) Most of the time, this thing changes really slowly. And I think that being able to have somebody that you can ask questions of this particular fellow that I'm talking about has had the deep brain surgery done. And he's, what is, what is that? that? That's used for people whose medications aren't working very well anymore. And so they actually put two electrodes within the brain and they, it, it overrides the, the symptoms that's happening uh, in to the to the person so that their tremor gets better their 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 writhing movements get better and so it's it's not a last ditch effort sometimes people do it earlier now than they used to do it but it is when people's medications aren't really working as well and it really helps people out i mean i've known people who couldn't walk and then they do or they couldn't hold a cup and now they can mm-hmm. you know they couldn't mm-hmm. ride a bike and now they can um, and when you turn it off, they're like tremoring like crazy, but you turn this thing on and it's, it overrides the, the abnormal pathways that are going on in the brain. He would have liked to talk to somebody, you know, he, he, he talked to the physicians who were doing it and they gave him all sorts of advice or whatever, but he might've liked to talk to some patients to say, how did this go for you? Did it meet your expectations? Yeah, 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 because he feels like he must have felt like he was one of the original Mercury astronauts. Like, you're going to go do something no one's ever done before. So, well, so it, it has to be pretty scary. And his results haven't been what he thought that they would be. And so he's a little bit, you know, dis- disappointed. But mm. he also needs to be a little bit more patient. But anyway. Well, the other thing is... To, to circle back now to the depression thing, because of course everybody's, especially comedians, have been talking about Robin Williams and, and yeah, his... the comedians and the Parkinson's patients. Yeah, well, because they, because people talked. About, I think the media tends to want to deal with depression as something that's caused by something in the world and not something that's wrong inside of you. That the well, reality ex- is, ex- is ex- like if he's having. If people are out there feeling like they don't want to find out their park, about their Parkinson's because they're feeling depressed and overwhelmed about it and they don't understand, well, that could actually be part of the Parkinson's and that that's a thing that you need to treat along with or separately to, to get yourself out of that hole. That seems well, like but, a reason but interestingly, to find out. Yes, but interestingly, you know, nobody was talking about Robin Williams' you know, depression until the Parkinson's became in the picture. And then all of a sudden everybody wanted to talk about his depression. I mean, he died and he committed suicide, but nobody was talking about you know, the depression part of it. And it made it easier to talk about the depression when we could attach Parkinson's to it. Now, you know, he had a lot of things that he struggled with. I don't know his, you know, I don't know his medical story, but from, you know, what you read, he struggled with a lot of different things. And so did the Parkinson's play a role? I certainly don't know the answer to that question. I mean, I'm sure it didn't help to get diagnosed with Parkinson's if you're already dealing with depression. Um, but I don't know that that was necessarily the straw that broke the camel's back, but it did open up a discussion about Parkinson's, but, and depression, but it is one of the biggest problems that people don't want. People don't like to talk about depression. So Parkinson's patients, they don't want to think that they're going to have depression. They, um, it's part of the reason they don't tell because they don't want people to know that they might have depression. 
Well, um, or, they, or they may be thinking they're depressed because they might have Parkinson's. And the fact is, well, no, they could be the other way around. And right. if you go in to talk to a doctor, you can get help to relieve the symptoms of both of those things. Hopefully, if they recognize that that's what's yeah. going on. Um, so um, it's, but it was interesting because um, the the buzz that was going on within the Parkinson's community on, you know, social media like Facebook and Twitter mm-hmm. was just escalating. You know, I mean, we all were just kind of sort of like, holy moly. I mean, we, it, it, we, we didn't see it coming. And so, you know, I have a lot of, you know, friends who are young onset Parkinson's, and so we're all on Facebook or whatever, and the conversations that were going back and forth were really quite interesting. Well, so what, give me an example of some of those conversations, the backs and forths. Well, it was in, interesting because there's a friend of mine, um, Brett Parker, who is a, he's in his, maybe he's in his, still in his 40s probably. He, he outed himself maybe five or six years ago in Forbes magazine with Parkinson's. He had had Parkinson's, you know, for several years and had kept it secret, and he was uh, general counsel for uh um uh one of the uh, one of the um uh cosmetic uh, companies in New York mm-hmm. and um so he added himself in Forbes magazine with an article about his parkinsons and so now he's now the general he's head of the uh New York Bar Association um and he wrote about how in the Huffington Post this about Robin Williams and his depression and how the parkinsons community to some degree we're great. We're grateful for, for, you know, the the increased awareness that happened as a result of this sad thing that happened. Because you're always trying to bring awareness to, you know, your cause, and mm-hmm. we always wonder whether people are listening to us, whatever. And so there was a lot of conversation, and 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 he talked frankly about the, you know, the fifty percent of Parkinson's patients have depression and things like that. And so, you know, a lot of people wrote in and and complimented him. It was a very smart article that he wrote, a very smart piece. But other people wrote in and just, you know, were, it's not fair. You're assuming that, you know, he's making assumptions that he doesn't know and whatever. But there was, so there's a lot of kind of sort of conversation back and forth about whether what comes first, the chicken or the egg. Do you have Parkinson's and then do you have depression and whatever? But it raised the, it, it raised the discussion. Interestingly, it was happening at the same time that this ALS challenge was going on. And so, <laughs> right. right. Well, the ALS so, challenge, I mean, the the I don't understand exactly how us pouring ice buckets over our heads is going to it help. It made us aware, didn't it? It made us aware of ALS. Right. I was already aware of it. Right. But, uh, yeah, and I guess they've raised a lot more money. So Right. And so I didn't see this article, but somebody told me today that there was a recent article about that they that they read that they don't know what to do with the money. You know, they don't really have infrastructure to deal with a hundred million dollars in right. a month. And right. so to, in order to make best use of that, that those donations, what are they going to do? Well, I think they need to invest it and create a, uh, what do you, what do you call that? Where it's, uh, where it's creates an annuity that funds you into the oh, future. An endowment, I, yeah. yeah. An endowment. Yeah. I'm not well, a financial they, expert, but well, that's my, I, I think they should call the Fox foundation personally. I think they should figure out what, you know, what, what, I mean, they have this huge windfall of money and how they can, you know, how they can use it to the best of their ability. Um, it takes a lot of money to figure out how to cure a disease and the mm-hmm. money that they raised isn't going to unfortunately be enough to do that, but they certainly could start with um, getting 
things in place that would help them. Because that's what the Fox Foundation does. Right. With it's not about how much money. money. They, it is about they, how much money, but it's more about how you spend the money. Right. You know, how, do, can you spend it smarter and wiser? Mm-hmm. Um, because it can be spent pretty stupidly, as we've seen in other, you know, in other charitable organizations yeah. that don't, you know, have um, <laughs> the same kind of fiscal discipline that a, that a foundation like the Fox Foundation has. Well, they can wind up spending all the money trying to get more money, or they can that's exactly administrate right. themselves into right. bankruptcy. That's or, right. Right. Um, but uh, to go to go back again, what would you say to someone who was facing the, this news about Parkinson's very early in in that process? Where would they go if if they don't live here in Cleveland and they don't have access to your group? Where are there places online that you recommend that people can go and read up? Because I imagine you start googling right. and you can wind up down a rabbit hole of right. desperation. Well, I, I would say that if there was one place that they, somebody could go to find information on wellness. It is the Davis Finney Foundation website. So Davis Finney was an Olympic cyclist. Uh, he's fairly, he was diagnosed fairly young. Uh, he started his own foundation. Um, he is also a, somebody who's undergone deep brain stimulation surgery. And he has a wellness community online, basically, that has everything you could ever <laughs> answers to everything that you could ever ask about diet, exercise, psychological wellness, wellness within your family structure, care care partner information. It's a really a wealth of information, wow, very great. well written. So Davis Finney, that's P H I N N E Y, is his last name, and he has wonderful stuff. And they have DVDs that you can you know have order so that you have it at home. And they have all they have updates all the time. And they do some. Um, work where they come they it's called the davis finney um victory uh summit i think and Mm -hmm. they go to different cities around the country where they'll have big programs within for a whole day in a city on wellness but they are really probably the best the the, the the smartest group of people writing stuff about wellness in the parking for anybody with Parkinson's. Oh, that's great. Yeah. Davis Finney Foundation. Right. And for people who are, uh, live on the West Coast, he has he's a big cyclist still, and he t- has all these riding uh, summits that he does with, with Parkinson's patients to raise money. Uh, so you can ride with Davis Finney's group. And um, but the information online is is excellent. Um well, that, it's interesting that he's – because I think people who haven't had any experience with this or, uh, disease kind of assume, well, geez, you're not going to be able to ride a bike or you're not going right. to be able to do this or that. But, uh, in fact, what it seems like you're telling me is you, you, there's a lot of things there's, – there's much less limitations. Right. Well, and, the, and I think that the more people um, know that they can – you know the, the problem is, Jake, is that what I what I feel I don't know if this is necessarily true is that because people are hiding it, you know they hide it and hide it and hide it until they can't hide it any longer, and then now they have to come out and say that they have Parkinson's, and so everybody thinks people who don't have Parkinson's that the Parkinson's person all of a sudden looks like they have Parkinson's when in fact they've been living well with it probably for a long time. Mm-hmm. We can do lots to live with it even better if we have these kind of sort of programs available. And so that's what the push has been in the past 10 years is to get people exercising and being mm-hmm. healthier individuals because they can, you know, there is some there is some data to suggest that certain kinds of exercise help delay the disease. And so I think that at least slow down the progression until, you know, so people can 
be you know active longer. Right, right. Um, the the other the other website I would go to, which is a little bit different than Davis Finney's, is um, the Michael J. Fox Foundation website, because they are leading the charge in terms of research. And so if if people are interested in knowing what exciting stuff is happening, and there's a lot happening on the research front, that's where they would get that information. I see. Um, and um, they also are um, leading the charge in terms of trying to get people involved in clinical research. And we won't find the answers for a Parkinson's cure unless we get people who have Parkinson's and who don't have Parkinson's actually to be willing to be in clinical trials. So if people go to the Fox Foundation website, uh, they have something called the Fox Trial Finder, which they've developed, which is a matching, it's like a date Dateline. So to find out if they're doing right. a trial in your area, in that your you area, might be they'll match you in. up, and they mm-hmm. you're not obligated to be in the trial, but they'll let you know when the trial exists, and then they, you know, they inform you, and then you let them know if you want to participate. And some of the trials are drug trials, but many of them are not. Many of them are have to do with balance or with um, exercise. I've been in several exercise trials. I'm in one right now at the Cleveland Clinic where I'm riding a bicycle three times a week with them. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's lots of clinical trials that people can get involved in, and um, so that's an important stuff. And you, you seem to be doing great to me. I feel like I barely notice anything. I'm not around you all the time. I only see you for a few days once a year. But how many? How far in now are you in from your diagnosis? Well, I got diagnosed the second time in 2008. That's when I started medication. I the, that, the other doctor that I went to was 2007. <laughs> the and one who was wrong was the in one 2007. Who was wrong, right. And yeah. I had symptoms well before then. But so 2008 was when I started on medication. So, yeah, that's uh, six years now. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And I retired a year ago. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I retired because I told myself that um, if I was taking more medication just to work, that I shouldn't be doing, that I wouldn't do that. That was the, the line that I was going to draw. It's then, too, yeah, why put that into right, your body? Right. Exactly. So, you know, it got to the point that that's what was happening last year. And so I, um, so I retired at the end of September. And, you know, two things came to pass. One was that the, the no stress of not having to work, especially work as a physician who would be up, you know, night doing surgery or deliveries, whatever, immediately I felt better you mm-hmm. know, to just take away that stress. But there was a funny thing that happened that I didn't expect coming, and that was that for seven years, you know, I was, because some of it I was hiding it, but for six or seven years, every 15 minutes, Monday through Friday, I would open a door and say, hi, Susie, it's Dr. Jaffe. How are you? I'm fine, Dr. Jaffe. How are you? How are you? How are you? How are you? I got asked how I am every 15 minutes sure. for seven years all day long. And whether whether they knew about my Parkinson's or not, for a flash of a second in my brain, every single time somebody said, how are you? I said, I have Parkinson's. So it's like to yourself, not to to myself, to myself. So all day long, it was about my Parkinson's. And so when I had to stop, when I got to stop saying, (laughs) I'm fine. You you (laughs) got to be careful how you talk to yourself, even if it's just inside your brain. And so, you know, nowadays I can do Parkinson's advocacy work all day long. It's not about my Parkinson's anymore because people are asking me all day long. How am I? (laughs) How are you doing? How am I doing? And I didn't see that one coming. You know? That's that's funny to hear you say that too, because I really like. I kind of got in the habit of taking the time to ask people how they're doing, and and if they ask me to answer and to try and be, you know, yeah, a little but you're bit not honest doing it every about it. Fifteen minutes. No, no, no. I see. I totally see what you're saying of how 
everything in moderation and, and just the <laughs> right. fact of this this common courtesy of your daily life, right. whether it's Parkinson's or you're depressed or no matter what right. you're going through, it's just like enough with the how am I doing? Right, right, right. And so I didn't even I didn't realize that that would be such a relief. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I. I happily left the job because. So how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. Yeah. And so, and the funny thing was, is that for for a long time, people would call me up, maybe for the first maybe four or five months after I retired, and the phone call always went like this: "So, how are you doing?" And I'm like, "I'm awesome." They're, <laughs> they're, they say, they say "You're awesome." I say, "I'm awesome." I was I was an empty nester. I had retired. Mm-hmm. I felt great. You know, mm-hmm. I didn't have to get up in the middle of the night. And I even asked myself, who, who was I that I ran so fast away from that job and didn't look back? Well, do you, so you don't really miss the work? No, I don't miss it at all. I mean, I miss seeing my patients, mm-hmm. but I see a lot of them. You know, they call up, we have dinner, we have lunch, we have coffee, whatever. Yeah. So I do see them. I've written them letters. They've written me letters. But I don't miss the... The stress that goes along with with um, this job, and the thing about it is, is that you know the stress of medicine. For those of us who go into medicine, you know we're Type A personalities. You know we we handle stress in mm-hmm. different ways than most people would. So what what I think is not stressful, you might think is very stressful. Um, so, but you add Parkinson's to that stress, to that kind of sort of stressful life, and all of a sudden that stress becomes palpable. So mm-hmm. I had to feel my Parkinson's more than I think I would have if I didn't have a stressful job early on. Because you get anxious, and guess what? You're going to shake when, when you've got Parkinson's. And so to not have that stress anymore, my symptoms you know, reduced dramatically, and that was a huge relief for me. Because it's, it's not a good feeling to feel that tremor shaking thing. It's not, it doesn't feel great. It doesn't well, hurt, then- but it doesn't feel great. But you're also talking about the self-consciousness on top of it right. as being you know, another bad thing that you've got. Right. To constantly have to think about it. And especially because you, you don't want your patients to have to worry about it. Right. You know, so, and my patients didn't worry about it. They they trusted me and they knew me. And so, and, and I, I was clearly, my medications were working fine. I just knew that if I had to take more medication that I didn't really want to keep doing that. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. So no, I don't miss it. I don't miss it. I like what I'm doing now. You know, Mark, Mark and I, with our foundation, are working hard at raising money. We've raised probably by the uh, this next fundraiser that we're doing. Hopefully, we will be six hundred thousand dollars from Parkinson's research. That's and, amazing. You know, well, I did. I years. did your right. comedy benefit just right. uh, what was that two, two years, years ago. ago? Right. But and now you have more people that you know with Parkinson's. You know, it's. Yeah, I'm trying to get them out to the show. They're good laughers. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we've been very lucky. So working on that and then working on In Motion has been really great. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel like I have, you know, for several years while I was keeping it silent, I robbed myself of my own voice. You know, I'm a person who speaks her mind and whatever. And all of a sudden I tied my hands and wasn't telling anybody and I couldn't do the advocacy work that I wanted to. So, you know, getting out of that whole, you know, closet was, was a relief. And, you know, this is just something that I feel like I have the ability to do as a voice in this community, um, I'm willing to speak and, and as a physician that I have a role that I can play that I, you know, it's the next step for me. You know, mm-hmm. I, I delivered lots of babies and did all that fun stuff. And now this is, you know, something else that I should do and can do and am doing. So I'm well, it's, proud of all of what we've accomplished in a little bit of time. So. It's very impressive. I'm really excited about this, the, the new thing that you, in, in motion. motion. Yeah. Right. 
And that is that up and running now, or it's, it, it's, it's, it's we're getting it's ready stages. to it's 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 in the middle stages. We should hopefully be open by the end of this calendar year. So by the next time I'm back, I'll get to oh, come sure. and see that. Sure. I'd love to see. Yeah, that. we can do the podcast from there. Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> that would be great. Um, so we've talked about exercise, and we've talked about the psychological aspect, and you you mentioned the the deep brain mm-hmm. stimulation, and I wonder if you might be able to just to talk a little bit about some of the the drugs that are out there and what they do and the different paths that people can wind up down with those right. because not only you're obviously a doctor so these are something you can really talk about from both sides well what's interesting is there's there's a lot of different drugs and and people always ask me what i'm on and then they want to run and go i'm going to tell my doctor and i'm like please don't t- d- please don't tell them that you know what i'm on because i want to take what dr karen is saying right exactly so um you know most people some people don't even start medications right away i did mm-hmm. because i had symptoms and i was a physician trying to you know keep working um but Physicians, I think, are begin movement disorder specialists. So you have a neurologist, and then you have people who are specialized in movement disorders. And Parkinson's patients should see movement disorder specialists if they have them in their community because they do know more about Parkinson's, and they see a lot of Parkinson's patients, and they're going to keep up more. But with what's new about Parkinson's, but there's a lot. Of, there's there's basically a couple different kinds of drugs. The most the most commonly used drug is dopamine itself, carbidopa levodopa, which is what we're missing in our brains. Uh, and it's a wonderful drug. It's been around for about 40 years now. The problem is, is that it causes the side effect. The longer people take it, the more likely, it's not guaranteed, but the more likely they'll get the side effect that we call dyskinesia. So when you see a Parkinson's, <laughs> Parkinson's patient, for example, Michael J. Fox, and he's kind of sort of moving around, wiggling around in his chair, that's, that's not his medication. That's a side effect of his medication. So that's called dyskinesia. So you take a. You oh, you're ta- saying that's not his Parkinson's actually. Right, that's, that's a side effect of his. That's a side. That's a result that, of his medication. Interesting. Right. So people, if you know, this medication is such a great medication because people feel so much better on it, but they worry about having that happen the longer that they're on it. I see. Um, so that's one of the what that's one of the things that that is in the research uh, phase right now is how to better administer it so that that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um, because if we could get rid of the dyskinesia problem, then people could be better medicated. Yeah. Um, there are other medications called dopamine agonists that look like dopamine, but they're not. They attach the receptor in a very similar way. They have their own problems. They don't typically cause dyskinesia, but they have some impulse control issues that have really that can lead to gambling, hypersexual. Sexuality, um, you know, binge eating, things like that. A little so. bit of hypersexuality can be fun, right? Yeah, but uh, when it goes out of control, <laughs> that could be, it a could be a problematic, right. Right. situation, right? So, um, you know, but everybody's on different cocktails. Why some physicians pick some medications over another, I'm not really sure. Um, I, I, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about what other medications I could take. I do what my doctor tells me. <laughs> so, but this is obviously a conversation that you have with your doctor Absolutely. where he says we could do this and this is what would right, happen. Right. And the, and obviously the medications, it seems like are the idea is that you're decreasing your tremor, your symptom. Right. 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 It's right now it's just treating symptoms. We don't have anything that control that, that changes the outcome of this disease. It mm-hmm. slows progression at all. The one thing I would say though, is that we, 
I'm not the only one because I've had this conversation with other friends of mine with Parkinson's. We all tend to go to our, our doctor's appointments and be on our best behavior. You know, we, we try to walk with a big step and we swing our arm, you know, we, we, <laughs> well, because we want the yeah. doctor to think that we're doing well. And, you know, we don't tell them a lot of things. And I, w- I was on a webinar a, co- a month ago for the Fox Foundation about sleep disturbances. And I was telling them about how I don't have this urge to go to sleep. So I'm up for hours every single night or whatever. And they were describing, and I said, I don't have insomnia. If I would go to bed, I would go to sleep. It's, I just don't have any desire to go to bed. So the, the two doctors who were on the line, one of which was my doctor, um, went on to say, to tell everybody who was listening that this is an unusual presentation. Usually people having sleep problems because they have insomnia or whatever. Well, as it turns out, I got all these, you know, texts and emails and Facebook messages from people my age going, Oh, I've got the same problem, but nobody's telling their doctor. But that they're that they don't have the urge to go to sleep, right? Because we don't see it as a problem. Our spouses do, but our spouses aren't with us at the doctor. So, well, so are you sleeping then four hours a night and feeling good? Right. So you're you're not feeling tired that during sometimes the day. I feel tired, but you know, mm-hmm. after a couple of weeks, I usually have to do a power sleep and then. Yeah, that, that sounds, it sounds kind of good. The amount <laughs> yeah. of stuff you'd be able to get done, but right. yeah, I could right. see how your spouse would be okay. like, "What is going? Is Karen right. a but vampire? People, Are right, you but, a vampire?" Yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, but people don't tell their doctors all sorts of things, you know, because they want. I don't know why we have this urge to pretend that we're better than what we are. I don't either, but I mean, it just, when you said that, it makes me think of, you know, when I go in for my physical and they ask, uh, you know, how do you, do you exercise? Of course I do exercise. So I don't lie about that. When they say, how many drinks do you have? You know, look, I work in a bar, so I'm probably every night when I'm working like right. five, four five nights every other week, I'm having two drinks, right. at least two. Sometimes I'm having two or four. No, because their amounts of drinks, when they ask you how many drinks do you have, it's like three, do you have three drinks a week? It's like, well... I've been more than that, but you know, the, they make right. you feel so self-conscious <laughs> right. about like, look, I can't tell the guy, like I, sometimes I have eight drinks in a week. Right. You know, right. so you, so you're trying not to freak them out or wind up at <laughs> right. some end of a bell shaped curve <laughs> right. where they don't know how to deal right. with you. Right. You right. know, but so, uh, but so, you know, physicians, I think movement disorder specialists though are, you know, they're a very optimistic, the ones that I've met are a very optimistic group of people. I think that in the time that they've, if they've been in this business for 30 or 40 years, they've seen a lot of positive things happen. You know, all they used to have was dopamine and now they've got all sort of a whole arsenal of drugs. And there are things that are happening if they're up with the research that it's very, very exciting. We have a vaccine trial that's going on in uh, Austria right now. It's a therapeutic vaccine for Parkinson's. And if it works, it'll be a game changer. That means they can give me a vaccine and my Parkinson's will stop where it's at. Wow. Yeah, that's a big wow. That's and a, how far away is well, that? Well, they just went through their phase one clinical trial for safety, which passed. So that's good. So hopefully within the next five years, we'll have good data to suggest that that will work. Um, so that's one of the really... Ex- that would be unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. It's um, And then they have um, all sorts of other things that are going on. One of the really exciting ones is um, a wearable. Everybody wears Fitbits now. You know, monitors your I sleep. I right, I'm right. monitoring my... The problem with the sleep one, though, just if I can... Go on this slight tangent is you have to remember to turn it on when you're going to sleep. And then <laughs> I don't want to turn it on too far before I go to sleep so that it's telling me credit for. So sometimes I forget because I'm right. like, I'm just going to watch this show on Netflix. And then at the end, I'm like, God, I got to go to sleep. And then I forgot to turn right. it on. Right. Anyway. So there, the Fox Foundation is um, hooking up with Intel. So wearables are really, they're way more than what Fitbits are. So they can mm-hmm. actually, um, a Parkinson's patient, they can retrieve data that has to do with your gait. 
elect- electrical data so that they have sub- they have objective measurements of what your gait is, whether it's a Parkinson's gait, meaning you're shuffling or whether you've got good big steps or whatever. Uh, your tremor. They can uh-huh. get a, they can get um, objective measurements of your tremor, your dyskinesia, and so that they can collect all this ob- objective data that before the physician in, in the office is just having you tip tap your finger together, and they have to decide right. whether you're doing it well or not. Now so they now have they you have put have on a, this right, stuff and right, wear and it so for it a can week. Yeah. This. So it becomes a, essentially a electronic biomarker. So a biomarker is where you can measure something, and then if you do an intervention, you can see whether it helps. So if right. we, somebody has diabetes, we give you insulin, we see whether your glucose changes or not. Well, this way, if somebody's having gait problems, we can measure that and we can give them a medication or an intervention, a cycling trial or whatever, and we can measure to see whether there's an improvement. So that's that's an incredibly exciting thing. So wearables are also getting so advanced that you can actually have them dispense medications through, a, for example, a, a patch that was attached to your wrist or whatever. So imagine in the next less so than So you'd be decade, wearing this thing that says, hey, and it, it tremors, can tell you're, right. you're tremoring more, so I'm going to give you a little zap. Absolutely. And that's wow. where we're going with this. And that's a really exciting I mean, that's, that's great because now we can have people, I mean, not only do we want to cure the disease, we do want to cure the disease, but we need to have people living comfortably with this diagnosis until we find that. And so these are things that will help that. And, um, so it's very, very exciting. And being part of the Fox Foundation Patient Advisory Council, I get to have this kind of sort of peek, sneak peek at what's out there and what's happening, um, probably more than most, but I like to tell people about it because I want people to feel, um, um, hopeful. Yeah, that, yeah. You know that there's something down the line for them. So, well, maybe that's a good way to uh, to kind of wrap up our conversation. Is what would you now that we've talked all about all of this stuff? What would you say to someone who is facing this possible diagnosis and sort of fearful about going to the doctor? What would you say to them? I would say that get your diagnosis secured and then find out all the different ways that you can help yourself. But not just helping yourself, but helping the whole Parkinson's community by being involved in in um, things like clinical research uh, through the Fox Trial Finder and helping us get these answers. But you know that there's hope because there is a lot of people working very, very hard at finding these answers. Uh, they're not going to rest until they find them, and and we're getting closer every single year. So uh, there's what's what's going to be opening up in you know in terms of. Um, what what we'll be finding out soon through all the Parkinson's research that's been done over the past 10 years is that there's a lot that's um, going to improve our lives, find a cure. I feel very hopeful. I think everybody else should feel hopeful that we'll find that as well. So, Well, that's great. And then if you're someone who knows someone who has Parkinson's, should we ask them how they're doing? Sure. Sure. <laughs> just don't ask them every – just don't keep calling them on the phone every 15 <laughs> Not minutes. Not every 15 minutes. Not every 15 minutes. So, you know, I I like to tell people that I'm doing well. If I'm not, I would probably tell them that too. But it is, uh, it. Uh, I think most people who are um, have Parkinson's disease who are out there and have out of themselves don't mind that question and mm-hmm. you can ask it. You can ask it, you know, fearlessly. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. Well, boy, it's thank you so much for having this conversation with me, and I know it's going to be interesting and. Uh, important for not just the people that I know, but other people who might come across this. So thank well, it's, you. It's, you're welcome. It's a little bit different than the last time we talked, isn't it? I know. Well, the last time we talked, I think we got a little more into raising daughters right. and whatnot right. because you're, because of your gynecologist's uh, OBGYN right. practice and also 
the fact that you've got three daughters. So if people want to listen to that, they can, that's, that's a, a funnier conversation. Well, to, to bring it back around, my, my youngest daughter uh, the other day called me from college and she had all these girls giggling in the background. They had a question they wanted to ask me, can you have an orgasm while you're having a baby? <laughs> And and, uh, and uh, oh, yeah, I don't know what brought them to that that question in their minds, but they had to ask it, so they called me. And what is the answer to that one? I said, I assume it's possible. I've never seen that happen, but I assume it's possible. I wonder who would try it. It'd have to be someone because you would really have to try. It would be a serious attempt. It wouldn't be like, oh, I accidentally had an <laughs> orgasm while I was having a baby. So yeah. I think it might be annoying, whoever was trying to help you out with that. You'd be like, look, let's get off me. One thing at a time, all right? I'm trying to have a baby right now. So. Uh, well, that's great. It's great that these college kids have a thirst for learning, right. thirst for knowledge. Right. Well, thanks, Karen. Now, Welcome, usually, Jake. sometimes I end with a high five, but I think we should have a hug. Okay. All right. Here we go. Here we go. It's not audible, but still. Yeah, that was, nice. was a good hug. All right. Thanks, Karen. Bye, Jake. Well, there it is. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for listening to episode 114, Dr. Karen Jaffe. You know, if you enjoyed that conversation, you might also enjoy listening to a prior episode where Karen was my guest, which we alluded to in this episode. And that episode number is episode 22, way back from December of 2012. So if you'd like to listen to me talking to Karen then about her daughters, there's a little more about her daughters and, uh, and more general information about gynecology and moiling, um, that is available to you for free on the Internet. I know you're familiar with it. So episode 22 of this podcast, check that out if you want to. No pressure. I'm not, I'm not trying to make work for you. I'm trying to help you do the work that you already have to do. That's what I'm hoping I'm doing. That's what I think I'm doing. How about that? That's what I think I'm doing. What do you think I'm doing? Well, you can send me an email if you want. It's jake at jakethis.com. I'm on Twitter at jakethis, blah, 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 Instagram. I'm doing all of these things, and if you're doing them, we could do them together. I don't have a problem with that. Don't give up. There'll be plenty of time to give up later. Don't forget to not give up. Sometimes you forget. You get distracted, and you find yourself about to give up. Snap out of it. Don't do that. Keep, keep at it. Keep doing the things that you do so that someday we can do some of the things that we do together or we can watch each other do some things that we could do. There's a lot of possible things. Again, you can shoot me an email. Uh, thank you for listening. Check out Dr. Karen Jaffe on episode 22. This has been episode 115. Next week's episode will be episode 115. This was 114. Did I say 15? This was 14. Ah, jeez. A mistake this late in the episode can really... I'm not giving up. Ha <laughs> ha! I'm getting high on my own supply. I'm taking my own advice. I'm going to stick with it. Until we meet again, thank you. Bye-bye.
get another Jake this and yeah. that?